Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each week, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube, and on our website at ProChoiceOhio.org. The program also airs each Friday morning at 9 on WGRN 94.1 in Columbus, Ohio. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL ProChoice Ohio. Enjoy the show! I'm Ariana, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm our Central and Southern Ohio organizer. And I'm here today with um, one of our interns. Yeah, I'm Rhiannon, my pronouns are she, they. Like Ariana just said, I'm an intern. And today we're going to talk about abortion and TV. There are spoiler alerts in this episode because I know a lot of people really care about that. We will be talking about the show Maud, which is pretty old, but also season two of Dear White People, um, episode two of Sex Education, and the very last season of Orange is the New Black. So I know that one's big on spoilers. And if you are sensitive to spoilers, you've now been warned. The first episode I wanted to talk about was in Maud because it's actually the very first show to cover illegal abortion. And it aired two months before Roe v. Wade, but because it was set in New York, it was already legal there to have an abortion. And the main character of the show, Maude, um, is a 47-year-old woman who finds out that she's pregnant. She doesn't immediately decide that she wants to have an abortion, but after talking with her husband, at the end of the episode, they come to the conclusion that like all along that they both wanted her to have an abortion, but they were like too afraid to tell each other that. But part of how they like came to be able to communicate with each other is because her daughter, who seemed to be like in her mid-20s, was actually like really excited about the possibility of like exercising their rights to their own bodies. And she specifically said that it was like the perfect opportunity to be able to have an abortion when they've like worked so hard for the right to have an abortion. And I thought it was really cool, but also a little sad to hear her use that language because that's still what we're fighting for today. And obviously this was back in 72 when the episode aired. So to hear the same language still be used shows how like powerful and meaningful it is, but also we have not won the fight. Almost 50 years ago, which is, yeah, it's shocking that we, that things have changed so little in such a long amount of time, you know, like the fight for not only legal abortion, but truly accessible abortion is a generational battle. Our, like for folks our age, like our grandparents were a part of this fight has been going on for so long. And yeah, it is a little upsetting realizing that, but um, you know, what keeps me feeling more positive about it is that the people fighting for abortion like our flame has not gone out. There's constantly reasons to like be revitalized and, you know, stay in this fight and like not give up. There's lots of pro-choice people who know that they're pro-choice and like are of course supportive of abortion access, but don't really become like super strong advocates of it until themselves or somebody they know needs to access that healthcare. When so, one in four people will have an abortion before they're 45. When you, I like to think of, like four women I know. And personally, like when I think of it, I do think of the women who have had an abortion and have been cool enough to share that experience with me. Yeah, a lot of people don't really fight for it until they have a personal connection, but so many people don't want to share their stories because of stigma that we don't know 
how many personal connections we have to abortion and the fight for the right for abortion. With the second show I want to talk about is Dear White People. In season two, my favorite character actually, Coco, finds out that she's pregnant. Her like whole main personality trait is that she's super ambitious and when she finds out that she's pregnant, her she feels like her life's been interrupted. The whole episode is about her deciding what she's going to do. And although the whole episode, she's implying that she wants to get an abortion, she's considering not getting an abortion. And she talks to some of her friends and the guy she had slept with. But what I really loved about it is that she's going through all these steps of talking about it and figuring it out. And then we see this really beautiful scene of her imagining becoming a mother. It's like her walking through this college campus where she like assumes she'll have a daughter and that daughter will then get to a scholarship to go to the campus that she would drop out of to raise this kid. And she looks so happy. Like she looks really happy in this imagined scenario. And the scenario cuts away in this just like very content way. And we find out that she's had the abortion. So she's like waking up from the clinic and she looks happy. Like she looks so happy with this choice, but I loved that they showed, she didn't feel like her life was going to be over if she had an abortion. Cause I feel like a lot of depictions of abortion is like the person has to, or their life's going to end when sometimes it really truly is just the choice of this is just what I chose to do. It's, I think it's probably like the most unique depiction that, I've seen of abortion having it so positive and so open to possibility on both sides. Yeah, because, you know, for some people, abortion is just like immediately they know that's the choice they're going to make and they just go into it without a second thought. Yeah, I really like that idea of, you know, showing both paths and them both being happy, but just choosing the one that makes that makes more sense for you at that time and being able to have the time to make that decision, um, you know, which is why, you know, good sex ed is so important because you'll know like when to take a pregnancy test. Um, if you're lucky enough to have regular periods and are able to, um, you know, identify the pregnancy early on, then you have more time to decide what you want to do. Um, you know, especially as states, uh, you know, restrict how late into a pregnancy you can access abortion. Speaking of people who find out they're pregnant and automatically know that they want an abortion, in Sex Education, one of my favorite shows, even though it is not without its issues, one of the main characters, Maeve, in season one, episode two, like right off the bat, she finds out that she's pregnant and she's like, well, I want to get an abortion. And she's, she like goes and makes an appointment and the clinician tells her that she's going to have to have somebody drive her home. Super normal, super common. She's a really private person in every facet of her life and doesn't have super close friends. So she convinces the main character Otis to come pick her up, but she's like, hey, are you doing anything tonight? And of course he's like, oh no, what? Like, why do you want to know? Because he has a crush on her. And she's like, can you meet me here at this time? And like doesn't give him any information. And he shows up like with flowers because he thinks this is a date. It's cool because she goes in and she's she's a no-nonsense person and she brings that into the clinic and she knows that she wants to get an abortion. She 
doesn't have any qualms with it. But she, and as she's filling out the paperwork, this older woman comes in who is like super jovial and laughing and like making jokes and is trying to joke with Maeve. And Maeve's like, I'm just trying to get this paperwork done. And the older woman's like not trying to cheer her up, but just like form some bond with her while they're in there. And then while they're like in their gowns waiting, like to be taken into the rooms, there's Maeve, the older woman and another teenage girl and the older woman who never has a name in the show, I'm pretty sure. She's like holding their hands and it's like this moment of unity where she's like, we got this, it's all good. And then uh, we get to see Maeve like being taken care of by the nurses as they're like setting her up and she's going under anesthesia. They're like super nice and she seems pretty calm. And then when she wakes up, the nurse is like, hey, do you want vanilla or chocolate pudding? And it was like super pleasant and nice to her. But then that same nurse goes over to the older woman who we also assume has just like is recovering from her abortion. And the nurse is like kind of rude to her. And the woman really wants chocolate pudding, but doesn't like vanilla pudding. And that's all that's left. And the nurse like makes some comment. Oh, well, we'll probably have chocolate the next time you're in. Like Maeve comes over to console her and like give her her chocolate pudding. And the woman, we have this really beautiful moment where the older woman like looks at Maeve and is like, there is absolutely nothing I regret about my abortions. I 100% did the right thing for myself. I have children. I have chosen not to have children. I don't feel bad about my choices. And that nurse doesn't make me feel bad about my choices. I'm only upset because of her judgment, like having that stigma placed on her even though she's so confident about her decisions. And I think that's that's something that I feel like I would relate to, where I would feel really confident about it, but I would still be hurt by other people's meanness. Right. Yeah, like I've heard stories from folks who've had an abortion where, yeah, like the hardest part of that decision, that process was stigma, you know, from loved ones and other people they know. And again, like it's a reason to, talk about being pro-choice if you are to help break that stigma and if we you know include in the rhetoric around abortion that it is okay to have multiple abortions it's just healthcare getting the healthcare you need is important no matter how many times you have to do it you know but it also reminded me that there's a lot of destigmatization we need to do within the pro-choice moment movement and even with some of the phrasing that we have specifically chosen not to use of safe, legal, and rare. Mm -hmm. Who cares if abortion's rare? I don't. Right. (laughs) Like, whatever. Get it if you want it. That's what we're here for. That's what we care about. And it, but I hear these people claiming that they're pro-choice, and then I hear their rhetoric still being demeaning towards people who have an abortion. And it's, it's something that really hurts me in the heart because I'm like, unapologetically pro-choice and I when I believe in something I'm unapologetic and I go like full send with it so (laughs) I I will be like do it I will hold your hand I will bring you do you want me to drive you there oh make sure you have that chocolate pudding (laughs) yeah yeah I will be like they didn't have chocolate pudding give me two minutes I will run to the store for you right um yeah because it's it's so important to you know do that and then the more people who are unapologetic about it the more people will become upon unapologetic about it um and yeah like another thing i i see from folks that you know need to be pushed back against is 
um, you know, I'm pro-choice, but you shouldn't be using abortion as birth control. And it's like, first off, nobody does that <laughs> because there's so many hoops to jump through. It's expensive. And there's not a single person that I know or that probably exists who's going to just like subject themselves to more doctor appointments than they need to have. Like, I don't even like going to the doctor when I have a cough. Right. Like, <laughs> Especially because like in Ohio, there's a 24 hour waiting period. So that's two appointments that you have to, you know, take time off of work, find childcare, travel to, if you're not, you know, in one of the bigger cities in Ohio, it's like, nobody wants to jump through all those hoops and then, you know, get screamed at on their way into the clinic and things like that. Like, again, get as many as you need. I don't care if you get 10 abortions um, or more, <laughs> but you know, no one's using it consistently, which like, it's so weird to me that that even is messaging people use. Cause I don't know where that's coming from. Um, it's just, a, yeah, it's definitely a show how stigma comes out, even if you are pro-choice, you know, I think it's also important to keep in mind, even if you don't, um, change somebody's mind or at least get them to question things on the first try that doesn't mean you failed at communicating they just might need to hear it a couple times or hear it in a few different ways before they're able to make that that step and that you know again isn't just for people on the fence or completely on the other side but like we were saying earlier that's also for people who are pro-choice but but we'll say i'm pro-choice but <laughs> and how or maybe they need to hear it from multiple people that they respect or care about or love. Yeah, definitely. That's why really again, organizing is so important because yeah, like people who look like you, who sound like you, who are coming from the same situations as you um, will listen to you more, most likely. So gotta always flex that relational organizing muscle. So with a shocking TV show that definitely, I think is just based off of shock factor comedy, is Working Moms. And if you haven't seen Working Moms, thousand percent recommend it. Episode 11 and 12, it spans over two episodes. And it's based on this group of women who are new moms. So they're all in this like baby group together. One of the like main moms is Anne and she is on bed rest because she's pregnant. And they ask her like, oh, how's it going? And she's like, I think I want an abortion. And all the moms like look at her and they're like, why? As they're holding their babies. And she's like, well, because it would be a financial strain and this pregnancy is wrecking my body and I'm not having a good time. And they don't have like any witty comeback because you don't have a comeback for that. Like those are reasons why she wants to. And then later she like asked her best friend, Kate, to come like pick her up and Kate has her baby with her and Anne's like take me to an abortion clinic I just want to see what it feels like so they go and like Kate walks in with her baby and Kate's like just promise me you're not going to get an abortion right now out of the blue and Anne walks into the clinic and goes I want an abortion to the little clinic tech and she's like well you can only schedule a consultation appointment today and Anne's like, what do you mean this is Canada? Which is totally a joke on America right there. Being <laughs> like, America has waiting periods. We don't have waiting periods. But she gets taken back to 
their a little like room and Kate comes with her and Anne ends up walking out and Kate's like what's going on and Anne's like why was it so clinical in there because she's like kind of freaking out and Kate has this like quote that I really like and she goes well Anne they aren't trying to seduce anyone in there like they're not trying to make this room sexy or anything like it's there are clinical procedures that happen in that room after she says that Anne admits that she's really just nervous because her husband's not there and she feels like she wants to make that decision and have her husband support her there so she goes home and talks to her husband about it and is really transparent with the fact that like she needs his full support making this decision so they make this like pros and cons list and I like for a good 10 minutes it's them like in different positions laying on the ground looking at this list and they only have one thing on the pros list of like cute baby (laughs) and all the other one like all the other ones are just like a whole line of negatives and cons of having another child because they have a teenager and they've just had a baby eight months before they make the decision together like yeah, this is how it is. And they drive to the abortion clinic and they, the only, at that point, the only thing they're worried about is how they're dressed. (laughs) They're like, are we dressed appropriately for this? Which is just so funny. And they like go in and she comes out and they're making jokes and they're having this great time. And it was cool to see like a mom talk to other moms about it, a mom to be very frank about it because the Guttmarker Institute found that in 2014, 59% of abortions were obtained by patients who had previously had one birth. So this mom would totally obviously fall into that category, but we don't see a lot of moms having abortions on TV. I feel like it's usually portrayed as teenagers who like, you know, quote unquote, messed up and need to get an abortion Um, or like something along those lines when, yeah, like it doesn't matter people of all reproductive ages get abortions. <laughs> the majority um, of people who get abortions already have a kid. Right, yeah. And that, you know, shows like getting an abortion is a parenting decision. It's a, you know, it's a way to create your family the way that is makes the most sense for you and makes the most sense for your, your family. Because, um, yeah, babies are freaking expensive. Even in a country with better health care than us, <laughs> it's still freaking expensive. Um, and it's, you know, a lot to go through. Yeah. And it's not even- just the nine months you're, you're carrying it, it's the rest of the, the life, you know, that child's life. Yeah. Huge commitment. <laughs> Huge commitment. And yeah. I, I honor people who make that commitment. Not a commitment for me right now. <laughs> Right. It was neat seeing a the husband be so supportive and them making this joint decision together. In a they make we see throughout the show that they make their decisions together and they work best when they're talking about things and working together. So to see that then carried into the situation was chef's kiss neat. And it is always good. I think this is changing, you know, with media. It's always good to see positive representations like of a healthy relationship whether that's romantic or a platonic relationship um you know i lo- i love watching old sitcoms despite how many problematic things there are in basically all of them but like a super common trope is you know 
the naggy, you know, bossy wife who's spending money and then the grumpy husband who's annoyed at her (laughs) is like such a common thing or like the you know the husband who works all day and comes home and doesn't help with the kids or help around the house while you know the wife is working a double shift or working not you know even if she is a stay-at-home mom still working from the time she gets up to the time she goes to bed doing unpaid labor around the house and with the family and things like that um is another super common one and those are both unhealthy things and don't set people up for like good expectations of what a partnership or what a marriage is along with being like you know super patriarchal and playing in the gender norms so heavily so it's cool to see that shift of like moving away from that and showing that relationships are not supposed to be like that you're not supposed to get annoyed at your partner every day (laughs) and you be able to make decisions together oh my gosh I'm convinced that moms would be millionaires if they were rightfully compensated for their time as mothers oh for sure there's actually a study um that it's like a worldwide thing I forget the number but if you know women worldwide were compensated for their work it's like billions and billions of dollars a year because there's so many women who have full-time jobs now because that's required basically for most people um and then come home and do all the housework take care of their parents or take care of their kids or other family members and things like that and it's just constant you know so my last episode is not a positive episode but I think that it brings up a lot of intersecting restrictions with abortion so I thought it was pretty important to just bring it up and it's in Orange is the New Black in season seven in episodes 10 and 11 this one also spanned across two episodes because it's a really really minor storyline they have a Guatemalan immigrant who's been detained by ICE And she, I think she has like some accident where she gets like sent to be medically checked over and observed and they find out that she's pregnant Um, and she had been assaulted while crossing the border and that's how she became pregnant and she really wants an abortion, but she doesn't have an interpreter. She's like trying to tell this ICE agent, the medical people that she wants an abortion and they just keep saying, your baby's fine, your baby's fine they have no idea what she's saying and it takes them the whole episode to get her an interpreter and it's not until there's this character fig who i think becomes like in charge of the prison she comes in and like is like why does this woman not have an interpreter and they like go through a bunch of series because they can't even figure out what language she's speaking which i think speaks volumes in itself once they get an interpreter she tells Fig that she wants an abortion and Fig tells the ICE agent that's in charge of her, like, hey, we need to transfer her to this women's clinic so that she can get the abortion pill. The ICE agent, they're literally standing in a courtroom that is like putting children on trial for coming into America illegally. He says, oh, I'm not going to authorize that. She can just have the kid and then I'll deport deport her. Yeah, our ICE literally violates human rights constantly, every single day. Um, Needs abolished. Um, And yeah, and like, that's just like a TV show, you know, like that's definitely what happens, but Mm -hmm. there's so many abuses by ICE that like, 
don't get recorded and don't get exposed. Um, and so many of them are, um, you know, surround like around reproductive freedom. Um, you know, it's eugenics, low key. Well, high key, yeah, ice practices eugenics. And how it resolves is that Fig actually goes to her own OBGYN that she's been having fertility treatments and she tells like her OBGYN is like, oh, like what brings you in? Like, how is your day? And she tells the story of this Guatemalan woman. And then the, her doctor's like, wow, like that's really tough. Like I'm like, that sucks. And she goes, yeah. And I also found out that I was exactly 10 weeks pregnant today, which is how many weeks the Guatemalan woman is. And she's like, and I don't want to have this child. So I need a prescription for the abortion pill. And the, like the doctor very clearly knows what's going on and they're speaking in tongues and she writes the prescription. And like later she fig like slips into the bunk room and gives the woman, um, the medication. And it's to me, I was like, wow, that really shows that abortion is so important that even when there's restrictions on it, people find ways to get abortions. And it, I mean, like that doctor could get in serious trouble if this was a real case scenario. But personally, I don't think the doctor should get in trouble at all. I think that that is a morally sound decision that she made. Right. Yeah. I mean, legality doesn't always mean morality. And um, that's a quote to put on a shirt. <laughs> right. And um, yeah. And I mean, self-managed abortions are very safe, you know, if you have the right information and the right, you know, tools to do so. Um, you know, the two medications used in a medication abortion are misoprostol and mifepristone. Um, you could also have a medication abortion using just misoprostol, but generally you use those two medications in conjunction and yeah, like they are incredibly safe. Like a medication abortion is way safer than like getting your wisdom teeth removed. Misoprostol is safer to take than Tylenol is and Tylenol Everybody has Tylenol in their medicine cabinet. I could go to CVS right now and be like, hey, give me 500 like bottles of Tylenol. And they're going to be like, okay, weirdo, here they are. Yeah, <laughs> I have standard know. Tylenol and fast acting Tylenol, just in case. Right. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a good portrayal. I mean, obviously that whole situation is horrendous and, you know, is should not be the case, you know, nobody should have to go through that to access reproductive health care. But, you know, I appreciate that they show that you can self-manage an abortion safely. Um, and that's something that I think people are getting more aware of. Um, there's a lot more education and, you know, talk about what self-managed abortion means, um, which I think is a, definitely a step in the right direction. And also a step away from you know, what we were saying earlier, that phrase that used to be really common of, you know, safe, legal, and rare. Because, um, you know, there was, is definitely the stigma that an abortion that is done, you know, somewhat outside of the law, like that would have been, um, is automatically an unsafe abortion. But, you know, again, that's not always the case. 
I think we've learned a lot today about how self-managed abortion is great. Also, thank your abortion providers. Shout out to abortion providers. Shout out to our abortion funds. Everybody who makes all of this stuff possible and is working so hard so that, you know, some of these really horrible situations don't have to happen anymore. Yeah. And this is like such an episode or, you know, series of episodes that shows so many intersections of reproductive freedom, you know, like the language barrier, like, you know, your citizenship status and whether you're incarcerated, you know, just three, there's also other things at play in this situation. But again, not all abortions, most abortions aren't just a teenager going in and getting one like I think was the dominant narrative for a really long time. Access to abortion isn't the only issue like that incarcerated um, people have to go through. Um, You know, there's also a huge issue with forced sterilization, especially for those who don't speak English or English isn't their first language and they don't have access to a translator. Um, You know, it's something that we saw happen with um, people being detained by ICE um, this past summer. And of course, that's when the story broke, but that doesn't mean it stopped after that. That's something that's still going on and a fight that we still have to, to do. And thank you so much for listening to me Joan on about TV shows. Everyone have a great day. This was Rhiannon and Ariana, and we'll hear you another time. Bye, everyone.